Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Health Mystery Solved. Thank you for all of your emails and feedback. I really love hearing from you, so keep them coming. Before we get to today's case, I just want to do a quick shout out and thank you to Sherry Annie for leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. This was such a sweet review. She writes, I've been seeing Ina as a patient for close to 12 years, and I can say firsthand that she's the smartest, most intuitive health practitioner I've ever met. Her podcast is so informative. I can't recommend it and her enough. Okay, you guys, I'm totally blushing right now. Sherry, thank you so much for all of your kind words and this review, and you always made it such a pleasure working with you. I so appreciate this, and if you guys like the show and can take a minute to post a review, that would be awesome. The ratings and reviews really help with having the podcast shown to more people so they can learn about all of the different ways that they can help their health as well. And for today's case, I want you to meet Allison. She's 36 and has been struggling with mood issues since she was in college. She often feels down and depressed. Sometimes it's hard for her to enjoy activities that she likes, and other times she feels anxious and doesn't want to go out. She has trouble in social settings and often feels alone. She's tried a myriad of antidepressants, and while some helped here and there, they all seemed to fizzle out after a while and her symptoms would just come back. She had done talk therapy for years as well, but felt like there was something off and she was just at a loss on how to fix it. She read about the benefit of B vitamins for mood and tried a B complex, but not only did it not help, she actually thought she may even have felt worse, though she continued to take it because she knew that it's something her body really needed. After meeting Allison, I knew that there was a lot more to this than just being on the right antidepressant. And after doing a really thorough health history, evaluating her symptoms and all of her past treatments, I had a sense it had something to do with her methylation status. Now, if you're thinking metha, what? Don't worry. I will explain everything so that you will see how this all fits together and how I solved this health mystery. Every year, Thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Allison and all the trouble she was having with anxiety and depression. In her case, it wasn't about a deficiency in medication, but really about balancing her body, as it is in so many cases. And joining me on the show today to discuss Allison's case further is Dr. Lauren Marks. He's a chiropractic physician and has been practicing in New York City for over 35 years. Dr. Marks is the founder of the Integrative Assessment Technique, or IAT, an assessment methodology embracing nutritional biochemistry, emotional health, and structural neurology. He's also a postgraduate instructor, a noted speaker, and frequent lecturer. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Dr. Marks very well through his trainings over the last 10 years and really looking forward to this interview. Dr. Marks, welcome. Welcome and thank you and good morning. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Um, I am really excited to discuss methylation today. This is a topic I talk a lot about in my practice and I find that like many things, there's a lot of confusion around it. Methylation has definitely been a hot topic, especially in the functional medicine space, 
but so many people misunderstand it. A lot of people have heard about the MTHFR gene, and they often think that if they have it, it means they have an issue and they just have to take more folate. But it's so much more complex than that. And Dr. Marks, when we chatted earlier, I was really happy to see that we really kind of agree and see eye to eye on this and understand the complexities. And I'm really excited to get into it. You explain methylation better than most people I've heard. And I love how you can break down a complicated concept into something that's really easy to understand. So can you start by telling everyone what is methylation? Sure. You know, there's a lot of data out there on uh, on the web and um, people read these things and depending upon who the author is, um, you can walk away either more confused or with data that is uh, not as exactly accurate. Let me just put it that way. So I think that it's, it's not to discourage people from going on into reading about these things, but you have to learn to be a filter, not a sponge. And if you do that, uh, you'll eventually uh, hopefully gain the knowledge that you're looking for. Um, in terms of what is methylation, I mean, basically, you know, first of all, when you talk about methylation, you're talking about a molecule called methyl. And methyl is one carbon and three hydrogens, otherwise known as CH3. So we got to start there as a, as a template. And then you're taking that molecule and understanding that methylation, it's a vital metabolic process. It happens in every cell and in every organ of our body. Life wouldn't exist without it, and it takes place more than a billion times a second in your body. And so just from that template alone, we can understand that if there's an alteration within that process or mechanism, that it could have profound effects on human physiology and the expression of it. Right? So it involves a chemical methyl group, which we call that CH3, and it's being passed around in a series of molecules in a cycle. And it occurs in the cell. It rids us of things like heavy metals and detoxification. It repairs damaged DNA. It creates new cells. So as you can see, this is quite important. Uh, we can expand it to say that it's involved in energy production, in mood balancing, uh, namely its effects on neurotransmission in the brain, and it does help control inflammation as well. Yeah, so it's a super, super important process. Now, how does methylation affect our mental health specifically? It's a complicated but a doable uh, process. Okay. So while there are various aspects of methylation, when it comes to looking at mental health and methylation, when you get involved in methylation, and there are charts that have been uh, biochemists and so forth have put forth these really elaborate methylation pathway planners. And I know you've seen some of them, but for our guests, it's like if we had a picture, you'd look at it and you'd run the other way because it's one cycle leading into another cycle into another with all these substrates and this goes to here and this goes to here. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge diagram, right? And so what happens is in order for the methylation pathway to occur and to work properly, it's very nutrient driven. And that's a really important thing because it's not something that's uh, altered by drug expression for the most part. But however, drugs do play a role in uh, moving it in various places. However, there is something called BH4. All right, which is called tetrahydrobiopterin. And on the left side of that gigantic chart, uh, in the process of methylation of that CH3 moving around, and it gets to a, an area where the production of that BH4 is uh, being formed. And the three main neurotransmitters that are uh, controlled or expressed through that mechanism is serotonin, uh, dopamine, and norepinephrine. Those are the primaries. And, and those are the big boys, you know. It, and so when you have alterations in methylation, then you can alter the expression of those neurotransmitters. Right. And those neurotransmitters, for everyone that is listening, they are 
directly responsible in what happens with our mood. So they're going to correlate with depression, with anxiety, and with some of the other things that we can experience when there's issues in our mental health. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Marks, one of the things that people hear about is the MTHFR gene. And so whenever there's talk about methylation, people always say, oh, MTHFR, I have it, or I don't have it, or I know someone that has it. So can you tell us a little bit more about this gene and also how it's related to the whole cycle and how the whole thing kind of fits together? That's a great question because that is the thing that shows up more than anything else when people put in methylation in the computer or they have heard about it. MTHFR stands for a, a term called methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, which is a real fancy name. And everywhere you go, uh, people look at it and MTHFR, and they look at it and they laugh. So we nicknamed it the mother fur fur gene. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And um, what happens is that gene, the reason why that gene has become so popular in terms of its relationship to methylation is because um, when the geneticists looked at all these different genes, because there are many that control the methylation process, MTHFR has the highest molecular weight, which means it's the largest gene in that pool. And because of it, they said, well, if it's the largest, then theoretically it should have the greatest weight in if it has a problem. And that was the, that was the basic uh, concept behind that. However, if the more that you study genetics and the relationship of the other genes that control methylation, which there are more than 20 uh, as a gene pool controlling this one process, you'll see that even though smaller molecular weight genes have issues, um, that actually they can be even more responsible. So it's a little bit of a misnomer, but nevertheless, just not to get it too complicated here, the MTHFR genotype is used as a marker of methylation, but the key is not to walk away with saying that if I have a mutation on that gene, then I have all kinds of problems. That's number one. Two is the MTHFR gene, what does it do? Is it's responsible for the metabolism of folates. Now, people know that term as methyl. Uh, methylfolate is what it is, but people use the term folic acid interchangeable. Folic acid is synthetic. It doesn't exist in nature. It doesn't exist in the body. It was just made by nutrient manufacturers initially. Um, methylfolate and its various forms uh, is the natural one. And that's what you're eating. Like when you consume green leafy vegetables and you get folates or stream beans, you know, you're getting methylfolate from that. And that's the form that you want. MTHFR has two different genes or alleles, as it's called, that they look for mutations. So, but let's, let's go and do a little explaining here. When you're looking at, at a gene and a possible mutation, let's start off by saying that everyone, and I mean everyone on this planet, has mutations on their genes. That if you have an MTHFR, you're not weird, or you don't have a problem that somebody else doesn't have. Great. I'm so glad you're saying that because even with MTHFR, we know that at least about 50% of people, even maybe more, have at least one of them. So thank you for saying that. Right, right. At least 50 to 60% of the population have a mutation. You know, I listened to a really uh, interesting geneticist uh, do a podcast, and she says, you know, it would be better not to use the term mutations and use variances uh, because people get very upset about thinking that they have these things. So nevertheless, of the 23,000 genes that make you up, um, you probably have a 1,000 mutations that exist in your gene pool that you got from your mother and father. And of those thousands that exist, um, maybe, maybe one-tenth of one percent ever have meaningful expression, okay? So that's 
really important to walk away understanding that we all have them. Yep. And I just want to say for everyone listening, just to kind of repeat that is that just because we have a variance in a gene doesn't mean the gene's going to express, meaning that we have lots of these variances. It doesn't mean that the expression is going to cause you to have a problem, which is what Dr. Marks is saying. Exactly. Exactly. So when it comes to the MTHFR gene, the geneticist actually found the location on the gene that is most common to have this variance or mutation. And so they named one of them C677T, and they named the other one A1298C. And those two numbers uh, then are the location on the gene. And then you want to know, does a person have none? Great, if you're lucky. Or do you have one of either of those? All right, so if you have one mutation on either of the C677T or the A1298C, this is called a heterozygous trait. If you have two mutations on the gene, this is called a homozygous, homo, the word meaning same. So that's, if you can remember that, you can remember that heterozygous is one and homozygous is two. As you go from having one mutation to two mutations, what that means is that the expression of the enzyme, which is what, you see, a gene is a protein that encodes for an enzyme. And that enzyme has a function, right, to metabolize something. So here we're talking about MTHFR and we're talking about folates or folic acid, for lack of a better term. And when we look at that, we say like, okay, so if this person has two mutations or variances on C677T and they're homozygous for that trait, then they have a significantly decreased capacity to metabolize folates or methylfolate. And so we know that the possibility of a person expressing becomes higher as the number of mutations increases. Now, they've also been able to identify that the C677 mutation is more associated with alterations in a molecule in our body called homocysteine. And for those who know a little bit more about cardiovascular health, that blood marker, which you can have tested in your blood, and you should actually as part of your physical once a year, um, your homocysteine level is strongly tied, if it's elevated, to um, a homozygous mutation of C677T. Um, the literature reports that A1298C is not, in fact, uh, related to it. And you can have one of each also. You can have one C77 and you can have one A1298. And then when you have that, that's called compound heterozygous. And, but at the end of the day, um, all of this detailing ends up giving us information about on that gene only about your capacity as an enzyme to metabolize folates. And then what happens from that folate pathway going into that big planner and having effect on mental health, for instance, becomes of significance, all right? However, let's move from all that detail to understanding, first and foremost, that just because you've been told you have an MTHFR variance or mutation, number one, does not mean you're in trouble. Number two is you have a lot more to figure out or the doctor who's treating you than saying, okay, here, take methylfolate because that's the wrong thing to do. Because now you're taking a single gene and you're removing it from a contextual space. And that's, what's, that's why the more you know, the more important it is that the practitioner or that you don't self-treat. Because you can actually be what's called an under-methylator or an over-methylator. 
or you could be a normal methylator. And so you can't determine under, over, or normal just from MTHFR genotyping, okay? This is great. I'm so glad that you're saying that because I can't tell you how many people come in and I'm sure you probably see so much of that in your practice as well. Like people come into me with 23andMe results and they come and they say, I have MTHFR and I'm taking, you know, 5,000 micrograms of folate and I'm not feeling any better. What's going on here? Then we have to kind of break everything down and say, all right, hold on a minute. There's a lot more to it. So let's talk about this overmethylation or undermethylation because this is something that I think a lot of people don't really understand because you can be an over under methylator, whether you have the gene or not. So can you explain that to us? Yes. Okay. So again, there is more than MTHFR as a gene that regulates methylation, right? So we have, you know, MTR, MTRR, COMT, and on and on and on. These are other genes just like MTHFR. And collectively, so understand that collectively, all the genes that regulate methylation end up giving you a net effect. And uh, Dr. W uh, William Walsh, who is uh, heads up and it's his uh, organ a nonprofit organization that he's been doing for over 30 years, um, his whole research and treatment to help people is based on brain-based disorders. Now, a lot of it is mental health, but some of it is some other based uh, brain disorders, but majority of it is mental health. And the thing that he was so contributory in, in the field in giving us better information was to give us this exact piece of data and saying, listen, it's not just MPHFR, it's not just folates, it's about understanding whether someone is an under or an over methylator because the difference is profound in what you need to do in order to balance and create restitution within the brain for it to work properly. So listen, as simple as I told you, CH3 is methyl. Okay, so if you're an under methylator, then you don't have enough methyl. Let's keep it simple. And if you're an overmethylator, you have too much methyl floating around. Now, if you're an overmethylator and then you take methylating nutrients, you're adding to the pool of methyl. And so you just made yourself worse. So, that, so when you can define that under and over methylation process, then you, at least you're on the right path in which you can employ various uh, foods, nutrients, botanicals that can uh, alter the expression of methylation. Mm -hmm. I can't agree more. So let's talk about how do we define that? How can someone find out if they're an under or an ovo methylator? There are uh, two specific tests that are uh, that we use okay one is um, a test called whole blood histamine and i i'm going to uh, throw in a little caveat here to say that i have no relationship uh, to lab corp but that that particular laboratory is the only laboratory in the world that i know of that does the whole blood histamine correctly and that if you go to your doctor and he runs a whole, he or she runs a whole blood histamine uh, by any other laboratory, um, you're going to get um, <clears throat> a different set of data. Not tell you this long story that happened to me once I learned this and I started running it with various labs and I kept getting the numbers back and none of them jived with the standards that he put, that Walsh put forth. And I'm driving myself crazy trying, why can't I figure this out? What is wrong here? And I actually called the lab and then the lab said, well, we don't do it. We send it out to Erupt, which is a specialty lab that labs use to get special stuff done. And I called the head of the department and I spoke to them and I went all the way up the ladder. And at the end of the day, after like three different phone consults with them, they could not answer the question which is amazing. 
And I said, and I said to the guy, I said, listen, as a doctor, no matter where you are in the world, if you run a complete blood count, the CBC, which is like a red blood cell, white blood cell count, to determine somebody's health, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Everybody's going to do it on a pretty similar format to determine if you're anemic, if you're this, if you're that. I said, so why is it that with whole blood histamine, that same standard doesn't hold across the board? And they couldn't answer my question. So, <laughs> however, so anyway, so um, the doctor needs to be trained in how to read the information um, because it, it, there's a specific way in which you have to interpret the data. But the LabCorp whole blood histamine uh, reference range happens to be 40 to 70. And if you're in that number, then actually, even if you have an MTHFR, that means that your global methylation status is actually balanced out by other genes. Now, what an interesting concept that is. So rather than to say MTHFR, I am an under or an over with, no. What's your global methylation status? So the thing that I like so much about Walsh is he gave a depiction. Think of people having a tug of war on a rope like you did as a kid. Mm -hmm. And he said, you have certain genes, you have undermethylating genes on the left side, and they're pulling. And then you have the people on the right that have overmethylating genes, and they're pulling on that side. And now what you want to find out is what is the net effect of that push and pull who won the methylation war inside of you and when you get a whole blood histamine and you get that appropriate number that you can interpret it will let you know unquestionably whether you're an under whether you're an over or whether you're a normal balanced methylator because the other methylation genes have created that scenario to balance out the others. The other test that, and the only other test that I know of that can uh, give us this expression is a functional medicine test by a laboratory called Doctors Data. And they do what's called the SAMI to SAW ratio. Okay. And they can determine from that whether you are net over or under. Some doctors like that test better than the others. Um, but for the most part, since the, uh, the doctor's data test is a self-pay test, um, almost every insurance company uh, will cover a standard laboratory like LabCorp. And so I tend to use that for the, because I, you can get the correct data. Right, of course. And if you can get insurance to pay for it, that's great. Yeah. Now, with that whole blood histamine test, so the range is 40 to 70. And if someone is within range, then they're a balanced methylator. And then if it's elevated above 70, does that mean they're an over? No, it's actually, okay, interpretively, it's an inverse number. So if you have on whole blood histamine, if you have a low number, which is below 40, you're an overmethylator. And if your number is above 70, then you're an undermethylator. So it's inverse to the process. That's the interpretation of that data. However, when you do the SAMI to SAW ratio with the doctor's data test, a low ratio is an under and a high ratio is an over as would be expected. Now, I'm curious, have you ever run both on someone and do you find that they align? Believe it or not, I've not used the doctor's data stuff because here, say so you're in Jersey, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. In New York, we have certain restrictions right? right, right in yeah. terms of which labs and some functional medicine testing uh, you can't do. And so it, it, it's difficult. You know, like you can, you know, to get, you can get around it, you know what I mean? But that, so I haven't had the opportunity uh, in order to correlate the data. Um, however, uh, I think it's a great thing to do. And I, I'm big on correlating data and not using one endpoint uh, to come up with a diagnosis uh, so that if you can use multiple uh, markers, 
and it's more significant health problem with the patient, I think that you are on more solid ground. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you test a lot of people. I'm just curious from the ones that you've tested, are you finding that people are more over-methylators or under-methylators? Are about the same? No, I'm going to say that there are more under than overs as a general rule. But one of the things that's very interesting is, you know, for all doctors, is correlating clinical symptoms of the patient with laboratory analysis. And you can do a pretty good job of being circumspect about a patient's symptoms. Uh, for instance, depressives, not always, but depressives tend to more so be undermethylated, but not always. So you can't make the generalization without testing. And people that suffer from more anxiety-based disorders, uh, there's more of a prevalence towards overmethylation. Gotcha. Yeah. And of course, and then we have the people that have both. So they're going to be very interesting to test and see where they yeah, are. Yeah, of course. So once someone does the test and they find out that they're an under or an over methylator, what can they do? Because, you know, there's so many people that are suffering with anxiety, with depression, with a lot of these mental health issues. And you know, there's so many natural things that can be done. It's not just about medication. And again, in some cases, medication may be helpful and it's not saying that one is good and one is bad. But for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, they really want to find out what the root cause is and natural things that they can do. Right. Okay. So clearly, um, the first thing I'm going to tell you to do is hold off on taking methylfolate until your doctor figures out what's going on with you. That's number one. Um, because talk about uh, conflicts of interest in terms of uh, the majority of people saying, okay, uh, I'm an undermeth, I have an MTHFR, I'm an undermethylated person, and so I'm taking methylfolate or what's called 6S-MTHF or quatrifolate or metfolin or, or L-methylfolate. Those are the names that you'll see on the bottles, by the way. If it's not one of those, then it's probably incorrect in that regard. But remember, we're using the term methylfolate, right? So it's methylated. So we have to be careful whether we're under or overs. So Dr. Walsh did some tremendous research, and his data is contrary to a lot of other data that's out there. And, it, and I'll tell you, you look at it at first and you want to just close the book and move on. Uh, you've you got to fight through it and, and like look at the data um, because everybody says, well, if I am an undermethylator, and, and there is no question that methylfolate is a very uh, potent methylating agent, right? So like if you're using it to help the homocysteine levels get lower for cardiovascular effects, um, I mean, it works phenomenal, right? But when it comes to mental health, he researched enough data and said, listen, when it comes to the mental health, you, actually, if you use methylfolate, you actually can lower serotonin in the long run. And that is so contra to so many people's thoughts. And then you look at, well, where does he come up with this piece of data? And he says it's what's called an epigenetic phenomenon. So I think we should define that by saying in the past, genetics were something that was handed down to us. We got one, we got some from mom and some from dad, and this is who we are. And if they had X disease, we're going to get X disease. And that was, a, that was a pretty common thought for quite a long time until the concept of epigenetics came along, which said, wait a minute, you may have a predilection based on the genes that you inherited from your parents, but the lifestyle you lead, the food you eat, the water you drink, the air you breathe, the stress that, you're, uh, that you live day to day is what surrounds and bathes those genes. And either that lifestyle will pull the trigger to elicit 
the expression of that disease or problem or silence that gene and never have it awaken and be a problem in your life. Yeah. So that in itself is a tremendous uh, advancement in the understanding of genetics. For sure. Mm -hmm. So he goes on to um, provide data of which people who are under methylators tend to do best with something called SAMe. Okay, it's one of the numerous uh, substances that you want to treat with, and you know SAMe stands for S-adenosylmethionine. It is available as a non-prescriptive item, but qualities do vary, so be cautious. And you have to start slower and build up, and you have to have an appropriate uh, vitamin B12 stores. So I would definitely make sure that you had a B12 level run in your blood uh, by your doctor first uh, so that you have an adequate level. And I also like to look at methylmalonic acid, which is another marker of vitamin B12 functionality. And so if we have that in place and we can apply the correct type of B12, um, because you know, everywhere you turn on these metabolic pathways, you have forms of nutrients, and the forms you use can make all the difference. So B12 is called uh, cyanocobalamin, but there are other forms that have moved from that basic synthetic uh, molecule that was made, and it did, it, you know, they injected it into people forever. It does work, but using things like adenosyl hydroxy B12 or using methyl B12, depending on the situation, can be the most appropriate line of approach to, to that patient. And so once you get the B12 levels uh, adequate, you can begin to apply some SAMe. And there is an amino acid called methionine that we do get from proteins. And those are uh, used collectively. Now, whether you're an under or an over methylator, one of the things that runs a common thread when we're talking about mental health is that all mental health issues that are expressive, meaning that you're having anxiety, depression, so forth, that there is an elevation of inflammation and or oxidative load in your brain. And so consuming antioxidants is a very important part of the process. So again, it's like you're looking at the process from a more global and a, a more broad spectrum understanding of the totality of what's going on in the brain rather than um, just plug and play. Okay, if you don't have this, then you use this, right? And this is, this is the art of doctoring and the art of appropriate care. Right. right, of course. And it's looking at the whole person and how the whole puzzle pieces fit together. No question, right? So what Walsh did is he divided up all of the mental health aberrations, brain-based disorders, and he, he came up with what's called the five depressive biotypes. And when he uses the word depressive biotypes, he's including... Uh, Anxiety. Okay, so it's not excluded from that. All right. He's like anxiety, depression is collective, even though it's so different than how one feels. And he says uh, about 20% of people are overmethylators, and he calls that folate deficiency. And about 38% of people are undermethylators, right? As a cause of depressive anxiety issues. Then you have two minerals that are critical to look at in mental health, which is zinc and copper. And a lot of people have copper overload where the level of copper in their bloodstream is higher than it should be. And copper and zinc must oppose each other in the body. Copper is an oxidant. 
zinc is an antioxidant. So on that basis alone, you would want a higher zinc level in order to provide us with greater antioxidant capacity and protection to keep the copper balanced. So if you have an inverse proportion and the copper is high and the zinc is low, these patients have a greater propensity to experience anxiety. Yeah, and I was just wanted to jump in and say that the elevation of copper is so common because of so many things in the environment. So a lot of our pipes are made of copper and not everyone filters their water. So copper gets into the water that way. Also things like birth control pills, which so many people are on. That's a big right too. there. Mm-hmm. Birth control pills, while they have made it very convenient for women on one hand, there are some who really suffer the consequence of, uh, of chronic anxiety and not knowing that that's an ideologic factor behind it. And so just a, a point well taken, ladies, of, uh, if you're feeling that way, you should have that checked. Um, so we have undermethylators, we have overmethylators, we have copper overload, and then we have something called a pyrrole disorder, which most people have not heard of. Uh, P-Y-R-R-O-L-E is a pyrrole disorder. And it's a very interesting phenomenon, but but needs to be uh, checked on, on, on people. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pyroles are something that everybody makes. It's a byproduct of your red blood cell metabolism. So we all, well, as, we, as our red blood cells get old and then they break down, they give off pyroles, and then we excrete them in the urine. So what they found was that there's 15% of people who are depressives, uh, anxiety depressives, again, um, have an issue in which they are genetically predisposed in the majority of cases um, to making a lot of pyroles. And the significance of that is that this molecule called a pyrrole has a very high affinity for vitamin B6 and for zinc. And so since you're excreting the pyrroles and that binding affinity is so strong, that means that you are eliminating or, or urinating out your B6 and zinc at a very high rate compared to others. And the reason why that's so significant is because B6 is a pivotal nutrient in the manufacturing or the last step in the development of a lot of neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. And zinc equally is responsible for neurotransmission and opposing the copper levels, right? So if you have a pyrrole disorder and you pan out, for lack of a better term, your zinc all the time, you can see that the copper is going to end up dominating because the copper doesn't excrete that way, the zinc is. So the opposition that's normally supposed to happen is no longer happening. And now you run into trouble. So there is a, a one laboratory called DHA Labs. It's the only one that I know that does it right. And uh, it, it, even though it's a self-pay test, it is very reasonable. It's $82 to have your pyrroles checked, uh, the lab cost. And um, they will determine that just from a simple urine analysis that the patient does. Uh, they urinate, they freeze the tube, then they put it into the attached kit, you mail it back to the lab, and in like five days, the doctor gets a report and goes, here, you, you either have pyroluria or you don't. And then there's a whole protocol for how to, uh, how to treat it, but clearly increasing the levels of B6 and zinc is essential in order to uh, create homeostasis within the brain and to help people stop having. Because if you start to read about pyrroles disorders, you will not believe how many people suffer from things like social anxiety and things that they've tried every damn drug on and that people are so dysfunctional and this could be the ticket for those people. So I find it to be highly uh, valuable piece of data. 
Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. And I've seen it so much. And, you know, $82 for a self-pay test that's, you in know, today's world, it goes for yeah. self-pay test in today's world. That's pretty good, you know, because of these tests, you know, can go upwards to, you know, five, $600. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so just to summate in terms of the five biotypes, we've got undermethylators, we have overmethylators, we have copper overload patients, we have pyrrole disorders. Um, we have, and then we have toxics. Okay, we have people who are suffering from heavy metal overloads in which these heavy metals can have a, a, a very strong binding affinity in the brain and they can alter the expression of how your brain functions. And so you should never, even if you've been tested for other things and you can't get well, you know, it, that can be where where the hole in the bucket is that nobody has looked at. And so we're not going to get into how to go through all of that because that, uh, we can get into heavy metal testing uh, as a whole entity by itself, but understand that about 5% of people uh, uh, of the biotypes express that. And the last 5% is other. And other is, you know, like there's too many variances in the world of things that can drive uh, you know, depressive biotypes. And so, you know, from thyroid disease to uh, other disorders. And, of know, course, uh, yeah. But, but, but those, are the, those are the five, you know? And, and if the doctor's trained in the Walsh methodology, then you go through the process and you can systematically figure out what it is. And the beautiful thing is that in the majority of cases, applying the right nutrient therapy, uh, reducing oxidative load, improving the diet, getting people to exercise if possible and so forth, you can really make inroads into mental health. And the concept, unfortunately, uh, because of where we live in America, you know, Big Pharma has created an, a, an answer, so to speak, for every disease. And that answer is always a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical intervention. And through diet, exercise, supplementation based on good chemistry like this, you can really make inroads into people's lives. And that, to me, is uh, both highly ethical and such a wonderful thing to be able to offer people. I'm sure you'd agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, I mean, this is really what I'm all about as well in my practice and kind of the point of this podcast too is to really show people that the answers are out there. We just have to kind of look in the right place. And it's like you said, it's the right way of looking. It's not just throwing folate because someone has MTHFR or just saying you have this symptom, take this, but you know, really digging in and kind of seeing, well, what's going on there? Because once you look at that and you break it down, there's almost always going to be something, you know, some kind of an answer to show us, you know, what's going on. And I want to back up just for one second when we were talking about undermethylators and overmethylators. For the undermethylators, you talked about CME and having adequate levels of B12 and also making sure that there's good methionine. And what about overmethylators? What are some of the nutrients that you would use there if someone knows that they're an overmethylator from doing the um, whole blood histamine test? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Niacin or niacinamide, okay, is the, uh, is the primary first nutrient that you have to use with overmethylators because uh, niacin, niacin or niacinamide binds methyl. Okay, right? Because we have too much. We have an overmethylation. And as opposed to using methylfolate, um, and, and you can, you can use in this particular case, overmethylators, aka, have low folates. Okay, it's the opposite of what people think. But there is a specific form of folate called folinic acid also known as calcium folinate, all right? And I find that to be the best form for overmethylation because even though people are overmethylated, again, too much methyl, think about it. If you have too much methyl, do you really want to add methyl folate to an overmethylated? You need the folates, but the methyl part of that molecule may not be in your best interest. And folinic acid, it's like, 
when you look in biochemistry at the breakdown of folates, like how one molecule has to form the next to the next to get to its ultimate active form, which is methylfolate in the end, if you use folinic acid or calcium folinate, you actually have to pick up one more methyl molecule for it to convert to methylfolate. And since your uh, methyl pool is already high, you actually draw it down a little bit. And this is something on my own research that I had figured out. So, and using niacin, while it does work, you know, runs the issue of turning red for 20 minutes and getting a little itchy. Uh, even if you use the time release, like it's the, 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 yeah, the yeah, you still get that yeah, flush. Start, yeah, like I take it for lowering lipids, for instance, and so I know I'm, I'm used to it now. But uh, niacinamide, however, is is does not flush. Okay, and it does work for this particular uh, process. So niacinamide, folinic acid. Um, there's a mineral uh, manganese that is helpful. Uh, the B12, you assess the status, uh, B6 levels, uh, zinc, vitamin C, and um, a special form of vitamin E called tocotrienols. So we use both on both under and over methylators when we're treating with the antioxidants for the oxidative load. Um, we're using uh, vitamin C and tocotrienols, one being a water-soluble the antioxidant, which is the C, and the tocotrienols being the fat-soluble. Now you can use the you can use you know the alpha-tocopherol. You can use the various, but um, <clears throat> when you read about the antioxidant capacity of tocotrienols and how many other benefits they have, to me, it's a it's a winner. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much research on that. And for everyone listening, if you're taking the tocotrienols, you just want to make sure that you take them away from other vitamin E that has the tocopherols in it because they'll oppose each other. Well, let's clarify for everybody. In the, in the world of vitamin E, there, you know, when you're reading a, a vitamin label, you have to look closely. One is called tocopherols and the other is tocotrienols, all right? So there are four various tocopherols, alpha, beta, delta, and gamma. And then there are four tocotrienols, alpha, beta, delta, and gamma. But you can take the blend of tocotrienols, but they should all be tocos. And tocopherols, if you're going to take those separately, should be tocopherols. But never the Twain shall meet. Correct. Yes. <laughs> and I know it's a little complex, but it's a good thing this is recorded. So you guys could go back and listen again and take some notes. Um, but yes, I mean, tocotrienols, there's just so much research and it has such high antioxidant capacities that makes a lot of sense um, why you would use that along with um, the methylation nutrients. So... This was a ton of information. Thank you so much for all of this, Dr. Marks. I hope I hope it's like, look, I, you know, it's very difficult to discuss a, a topic like methylation and getting involved in mental health and, you know, not get into the detail of it in this way. And so, you know, for the listener, uh, you know, I, I apologize if it, if, it, if it goes down the rabbit hole a little too uh, deeply. But, you know, if you can just walk away understanding that there's more uh, to this process than knowing whether you have a, a variance on MTHFR, that in itself is a big win. And, you know, and see Dr. Ener or myself or someone who is trained in how to look at this properly is really in your best bet. And, and from listening to this, I think you can... Uh, agree and hopefully that uh, that that's the best way to do it and that just taking methylfolate um is a is actually a risky process right absolutely absolutely and i think that um just knowing about this whole blood histamine test is going to be something that's going to be so 
educational for so many people listening, just because it's not talked about as often. So many people talk about the 23andMe genetic test where we look at all the genes, but that doesn't show how they're expressing, doesn't show what's actually happening. So looking at that whole blood histamine and seeing then, are you an over or an under methylator? And I think also just such a big clinical pearl that a lot of people don't realize is that if you're an over methylator, it doesn't mean you don't need folate. You just need the right type of folate and the folinic acid could be one of the better ones. I think that's just really huge because so many people make that mistake and just take methylfolate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all of this information. I really, really appreciate you being here and educating everyone on this really, really important topic. It was my pleasure. Anytime. Have a great day, guys. As we just heard, methylation status is absolutely integral to so many areas of the body and has a very specific connection to our mental health. The good news is that when we know how to evaluate it, like many of the things we discuss, we have tons of tools to help us create balance. I will tell you more about what we did for Allison in just a second, but first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Dr. Lauren Marks, just go to my website, healthmysterysolve.com, and go to episode number 34. All the contact info and resources we discussed are right there in the show notes for you. And for Allison, we ran a genetic test through 23andMe, an organic acid test through Genova, and also the histamine determination test through LabCorp. She did end up having the MTHFR gene variant, but unlike what she thought, she was actually an overmethylator, as her histamine blood levels were very low. Her test showed that she also had low B12 in her blood and high methylmalonate. Both of these markers are confirmation that her B12 levels were low, yet she was taking some methyl B12 and also methylfolate. The reason why she felt worse from B vitamins and likely why her levels were not going up the way that they should was because she was an overmethylator and her body could not handle all of those extra methyl groups. To balance this, we use some niacin because niacin acts like a methyl sponge. So I gave Allison one capsule of niacin CRT a day from Designs for Health. We also used a supplement called B12ND from Premier Research Labs, which is B12 in the adenosylcobalamin form and folinic acid instead of methylfolate for a source of natural folic acid. After three weeks on the protocol, Allison noticed a change. She described it as a feeling of something lifting, almost like a veil. She felt a lot more even throughout the day and was able to go back to many of the things she enjoyed doing before, which was really, really awesome. Now, Allison also had an elevated level of copper, which we saw through a hair test. And so I gave her 90 milligrams of Zinc Supreme, 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C, and 250 micrograms of molybdenum to balance that out. Now, please note that these zinc dosages are high because her specific level of copper. I don't normally recommend that someone supplements with such high levels of zinc daily unless they have high copper or they're specifically monitored by someone when they're doing this. While zinc is great for many things, if you take too much zinc, you will push out copper. So if your copper level is normal, that high level of zinc would not be good. We monitor Allison's copper levels over the next few months, and on the third hair test, we saw the level back in a normal range, at which point we stopped the extra zinc, the extra C, and the molybdenum. With the copper down and her methylation more in check, we were able to stop the niacin as well. She now only uses niacin when needed if she feels any of her past symptoms that come with the overmethylating. She will be mindful of not doing methyls and going forward will retest the histamine determination markers annually just to make sure. Please keep in mind that methylation is a process and so it can and will often shift as we go through life. You can think of this as sort of a bell-shaped curve, so it's important to monitor and adjust things as needed. When we take out methyl groups with niacin and don't give any extra, it's possible that the overmethylators can still become low in methyls and therefore temporarily become undermethylators, just like if we give lots of methyl groups when those are in need for those who are undermethylators, they can then temporarily become overmethylators. What I always say is take the appropriate support with either the extra methyls or niacin based on your individual methylation status. And then when you feel good, test again to see where you are. 
Typically, once you're feeling well, you may be able to and often should slow down on the support to make sure that you don't go over to the other side of the curve. Allison was so excited to be feeling better, and with her new knowledge of methylation, she will now be keeping track of her levels and adjusting as needed to keep herself balanced. If Allison sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to solving your health issues, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.